All right. You know what it is? You know who it is? We're back. Today I got the legend Killian Hamilton on. Really excited about this one. Um, this is one I've been actually thinking about when I actually reached out to you. Uh, I was pretty excited you said yes, so I'm excited to talk about this. Um, how's everything going with you right now up in Canada and just, you know, doing your thing? Uh, pretty good, man. Like, I'm, I'm busy on, on the work side of things, obviously. Like, I, I'm lucky enough I get to work with people that don't live yeah. in Toronto where I live, um, but we're locked down right now. So um, training is a bit crazy. Like, I commute, like – almost two hours a day trying to get a workout in but um yeah for the most part man works works busy which is always great and i get to work with a ton of cool people yeah and i kind of want to talk about that in a couple minutes but um just to give you guys some background killian is a part of prescript and uh i had jordan on the podcast a couple months ago i think at this point um so might be familiar with prescript if you're not killian's uh He's a part of them. He's someone I love listening to. If you ever listen to uh, the RX radio, which is their podcast, him and uh, your co-host now, essentially, right? Pretty much, man. Pretty yeah. much. So uh, him and Jordan crush it. They have some really good episodes, especially the last three. Um, so if you guys got a chance, definitely go listen to those. Um, so, you know, I know about you. I don't know your whole story. So I kind of want to go from like telling me about, or us, I guess, about uh, how you kind of got to where you are and your journey into being uh, a part of Prescript and coming into the light that you've come into. Yeah, man. Uh, it's, I guess it's sometimes I say it's pretty crazy, but I think that's just a fucking phrase I use all the time. I just go, well, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's a good way of uh, deflecting any details. But no, um, it's pretty cool, man. Like I've been in this industry almost a decade now. Um, whether or not like working directly with clients in like a commercial gym setting or in a coaching perspective um, or like competing at sports myself. Um, and then probably three years ago now, I kind of just decided to like take the plunge into, you know, going into this with like a lot more intention than I had previously. But um, no, man, like I got into, I got into the, the serious part of, of fitness and, and, and coaching about eight years ago. Um, I started working at a commercial gym. I was competing at powerlifting at the time. Um, just taking a bunch of certifications, reading a lot of books, um, competing myself. I competed for seven years in powerlifting, um, uh, before I tried to make a break at bobsled, uh, oh, okay. not realizing that, uh, bobsledders aren't five foot seven and 175 pounds. So <laughs> it's a stark reality check in, in that arena. But, um, no, man, uh, the working with prescripts has been pretty exciting. Uh, me and Jordan meeting was like a really chance happening. Uh, we have a mutual friend, uh, Jordan Moffat, who owns Bacon and Barbells, which is a oh. wicked, uh, wicked clothing line for people who like pork or barbells or both. Um, so I went, ended up going to dinner with Jordan Moffat and uh, Shallow. Uh, my friend said, hey, do you want to meet the muscle doc? And I went, oh, no, sounds like a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he's like, nah, man, like he's actually pretty cool. So I, I, I tagged along, we went for sushi. Uh, me and Jordan just started talking. He was telling me what Prescript does. Yeah. And I pulled up this like really poorly made infographic. I probably made on Microsoft paint or something. I don't know how to use a computer. <laughs> I was like, oh man, like this is this like skill acquisition model that I use. And Jordan looked at it and he was like, man, that's, it's pretty much what Prescript does. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple months later, he called me, he was doing a seminar here in Canada and he said, Hey, do you want to come help out and, you know, shoot the shit? So I, I went out to the seminar, uh, helped teach a few things just, you know, based on my perspective of what Prescript does. And then 
from there, it was just kind of an organic growth with Prescript moving from a coaching role um, to now I'm the director of programming and innovation, uh, which is pretty neat. So I get to work uh, really hands-on with all the, the courses that we offer, the certica- certifications that we offer in terms of um, creating them from the ground up and really finding purpose in them. So it's a really um, motivating thing to do. And then from there, uh, my own coaching business is just kind of blown up, man. It's yeah. snowballed in the wildest way possible. Like there's no, there's no way I could have said in March, I would see what I do now or the lifestyle I have now. So it's been, you know, ultimately exciting. And I have tremendous gratitude for, you know, shallow for kind of giving me the mic and letting me say crazy stuff on uh, the radio. Yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. Um, I remember the first time I heard you uh, from there, um, you guys are talking about the skill acquisition template. So, um, or just your, your ideas on skill acquisition. And uh, it, like I said, it was, I mean, I think like Jordan said, like it's just, it was a really good setup you have and like an idea around it that's really cool. And um, I think the first time you're on the RX Radio podcast was what, like probably a couple of years ago at this point, or was it a year? I think about a year ago now. Yeah. It's yeah. So like somewhere around there. And like I said, I remember the first time they kind of mentioned you and they were saying like, I remember Jordan was like, oh, this guy looks exactly like me. And I was like, yeah, he actually does. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's really cool. And like I said, I, I know that um, as you've been more involved in Prescript and you're, you know, you're getting your voice out there. I've seen kind of your growth on Instagram. I've seen, I've like followed it and seen you from, you know, I don't know what you were doing before business-wise or like job-wise, but like now you're, you're, I know I hear, hear about you having the full client list. I always see you talking about like filling the spots and having a couple left. So that's where I think that's where we're all trying to get. So, um, you know, business-wise, like how has your attitude um, and kind of like your, just your business in general changed over the past year and then through COVID and then, you know, because of this like influx of people you've had uh, and I'm, I, w- I don't know if it's a short time, but like, I'd say it's relatively short time, right? Yeah, man. Like I'm, uh, I'm not a closed book at all when it comes to, to that. Like I, prior to this was working in a commercial gym setting. Mm-hmm. I had about 15 or 16 clients. So I think like everybody who works in a commercial gym, probably working like 12, 13 hours a day, like first clients, 5am last clients, like 7pm working Saturdays or Sundays. Um, and then when COVID happened, obviously gym shut down. I kind of took the back seat and had to sit at home and, and for the clients I was already working with in person, I was just sending them whatever I could in terms of at home. And um, I kind of saw that, you know, we were supposed to be locked down for whatever it was, four weeks, eight weeks, three months. And then it really didn't seem like that was going to be a thing. Uh, so I thought like, you know, there's no way I can just sit here at this point. Um, you know, I, I got to kind of, I guess the words that everybody likes to use is pivot, but yeah. I think the word I would use is like, I just got to fucking pay my rent. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to peace out on the in-person. It seems like a pretty sketchy business model at this point. And, and it's not that it always was. And like, it was a t- dude, in-person training is the most terrible business model. Like yeah. if you want to create a ceiling to what you can make and just demonetize yourself as a human being than yeah. people <laughs> in person. Yeah. But um, no, you know, like I, I've made tremendous friends around the world since like taking two minutes to use Instagram. Um, Like I coach people in Dubai, Australia, Germany, UK, all over the States. I train like 12 people in Minnesota. I've never even been to Minnesota. I don't even know where Minnesota is on a map. Um, (laughs) So it's just crazy. Right. But um, yeah, the, the online business, like March 15th, I had two clients online that I think lived down the block from me and I was just sending them programming. And then March 
April, May, I think I had eight clients online. August, I had 26. October 1st, I had 32. It's December, what date it is? December 7th, I have 44 online clients. Um, and it's really just taken off, man. And I think on the business side of things, it was, I just adopted the same idea I, I had adopted when I worked in in-person training, which I think I talked about this on a podcast. Like every day I would go to work, I'd have written down how much money I needed to make by the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, dude, I still do that every single day. I wake up and I have like the 44 clients that I train have divided how much I'm going to make for the month over the course of the month, every, every day of the month. Uh, and I always set like a, a growth goal for myself in terms of how much more I want to make. And like, I just don't go to bed until I make that money. Like, I think, I think oftentimes people are so, um, like so strangled and so held down by this idea of like, I have to be ready to do it. And I have to, yeah. you know, have a plan and I have to, I have to be better. There's this weird idea I find in the online fitness community of there's number one, the thing everybody says to me is, well, everybody's doing it. Everybody's on Instagram and I want to do it better than someone else. I want to set myself apart. Well, to be honest with you, I would never go to a bar that didn't have everybody in it. If you were walking down the street and there was a bar that had a hundred people and it's spilling out into the street, and there's a bar that had two people. Why would you ever go to the bar that no one's in? Yeah. You always go to the bar that people are at. Right. So it's like to make the argument of like, well, everybody's already on Instagram. It's like, yeah, dude, that's where everybody is. Who are you going to find? Like, what are you going to do? Go on LinkedIn? Like, get the fuck out of here. But it's like, I just don't understand that argument or the argument that it's like, well, I'm just going to wait until I can do it. I want to have a product that no one else has. It's like, you know what I want money that no one else has. So I think I'm just going to go coach people and I'm just going to improve daily on my ability to coach people. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that are, that are sitting there on Instagram or sitting at home going like, you know, I want to get into online coaching, but I'm going to wait, wait until I'm ready. Yeah. It's like, you know, when I was ready, when I had rent to pay, yeah. that might've been when I was ready. Yeah. And I've had that conversation a bunch of times and like, you know, I've, I know I think I saw you hopping on Kyle's podcast, but he, um, you know, he talked about that a lot. And he, you know, he talks about when you're, and this is just a, a conversation in general that you have. It's like, when you, when you need to do something, like you're going to do it and there's not really a ready for it. And like, for myself, it's one of the things, and I, you know, I don't know how you felt early on about the clients you were dealing with. And if you ever thought you'd get into the online space, but something, I always thought about was the online space and like how there was room to grow there. And that, you know, it's at the same time, it's like, there, there is Instagram, like Instagram is there for a reason and people are on it for a reason. And like, that's where you're going to get a majority of your clientele, whether you're, um, you know, blowing up on there, you don't have to have, and that's the other thing is like people mistake, you know, success with millions of followers. And like, you know, if you can monetize the, small percentage of followers that you do have you don't need to even need to monetize that much if you have a thousand followers and you get 10 percent of them to pay you 200 bucks a month there you go you know and like that's the thing that's i've turned my head to is like really trying to uh become famous in my hometown it's something i stick with because of you know as a really good kind of idea from kyle um and then in general it's just about really making sure that you're getting better and that's the biggest thing is like and i've had conversations with coaches who um, cause I owned a gym for three years yeah. in New York and I just recently moved to Tennessee after I left the gym because of business partner problems. And then I moved to Tennessee just to kind of like restart and get another, uh, like a start at it. And for me, when I was owning the gym, I saw it and like, and I'm sure you saw this too, because working in the actual space of personal training, there is a ceiling 
And like when you own the facility, it's like, you got to deal with the overhead. You got to deal with the employees. You got to deal with the client retention and you got to deal with social media, cleaning, like all this stuff when you can still make the impact that you want to have in a less stressful way. And almost the less stress you are, the more impact you're going to have, you know, obviously having a gym or a facility is nice. So you don't have to drive an hour, you know, um, and you can touch on that a little bit, but like, you know, what is it, how, how easy has that transition been from in-person coaching into the online space? And have you had any hiccups? Is there anything that you've like seen or that you wish you did better from the start or, you know, anything along those lines? Yeah, man. Like, I think, I think it'd be pretty ignorant to say like, there's no, there's no hiccups or no improvements yeah. that can be made. Right. And like, I probably run a, a business that's a thousand percent different today than I did March 1st. But I think the thing that I've realized with understanding what online coaching is and, and honestly understanding what in-person coaching is. And I know I knocked, you know, training people in person, but it's a thing a, that everyone has to do. Like you they can't have to, yeah. coached in person, like 100%. And it's a thing, like there's a million trainers out there who coach people in person that are the greatest trainers in the world and, and should do that. Yeah. I think the thing that you have to remember in a service industry is your service is only as valuable as it's perceived by the customer. So it's like, when it comes down to online coaching, a, a question that I ask a lot of people now that I wish I had asked people nine months ago was just tell me what you want without putting a price on it first. Yeah. You're interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching. You're interested in mentorship, whatever it may be. You email me your perfect experience. I'll email you back what I believe is a cost that would motivate me to pick up the phone and do whatever that is for you. Because I think people get trapped in not understanding the value of the service they provide and then not being able to provide the service that the other person finds valuable. Like, man, I've got clients. I have a client. I've never even seen his face. I don't even know what he looks like. And this dude is so happy with the service that we use. I send him a Google sheet. He gets stronger. He emails me, send me the next week. I send him the next week. Every week we go back and forth. Still don't know what he looks like. <laughs> Every time he sends me a video, he's benching and I can never see his face. But it's like, that dude is entirely happy with the service. Yeah. I have another dude who probably sends me on average 12 to 19 messages or voice messages or videos a day. Mm -hmm. That is an entirely different service, yeah. right? I've got people who want me to be available while they're training. Yeah. That's an entirely different service, yeah. but all of these people will only see value in what I do. If I do those exact things for them individually, yeah. I can't just send a Google sheet to the guy who wants to talk to me every day. I can't video message the guy who only wants a Google sheet, right? That would be annoying to him. So everyone's going to find, everyone's looking for their own value. And I think the thing we, we all lie to each other about is just none of us are open and asking for exactly what we want. Yeah. Hey man, I want coaching, but I don't want this coaching. I want this experience. Well, that's fine. Like if that's the experience you want, it should be monetized as such. Right. And the thing is, is if a service is $50 or a service is a thousand dollars, if it's exactly what you want, it doesn't matter that it's a thousand dollars because yeah. you got what you wanted out of it. If you want to bench 400 pounds and it costs what it costs and you bench 400 pounds, well, nobody's complaining. If it costs $50 and you want to bench 400 pounds and you bench 255. Well, there's a big problem. There's a big discrepancy. So I think what I've learned is like just straight up tell, telling people, it's like, Hey man, like I'm here to facilitate more bandwidth in your day. If you really look at what we do, 
the 90% of my clients are coaches themselves. Yeah. I'm not facilitating a program that they can't understand or they can't conceptualize. I'm, I'm buying them back bandwidth in their day. So like you were like me, they can build a business and they can take that time to do their own thing. They're not busy writing and adopting and, and watching their own videos. That's what I do. Yeah. And they can take the four hours back a week that I do that. And they can go gain four clients themselves. Right. So I facilitate extra bandwidth, whatever service that may be is the service I create. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think that personally diving into business, you have to think a little bit outside the box like that. You have to think of the things you're actually not just giving workouts, but you're providing them with obviously, like you said, more bandwidth, meaning like they can get more done in their day. There's less that they have to worry about. And even for me, when I talk to people, it's like, you know, they, they go crazy about the working out. And it's like, well, how much easier would your life be if you could get this taken out and you wouldn't have to worry about it that much or at all. You just go in and it's there and you just do it. Um, and, and value is one of those things and perceived value, especially is again, going back to your point about the bar is like, if there's a bar that's filled with people, there's perceived value there. Like there's probably something that's better about that bar than the one that's not. So, you know, it's the same thing. If, and I've heard you say this before too, is like, no one wants to work with somebody who doesn't have clients. Like if there's, you know, if you don't show or you're not at least telling people, this is what I do. This is how I work with people. This is what I'm doing. There, no one's going to know. And then there's not going to be any value around it. And that's it. And you're not going to get any clients. Um, and I think that a lot of people are, it's just, it's a very, you know, instant gratification type of time right now where it's like, Oh, I'm doing, I'm jumping to online space. So I need to have clients like tomorrow or else that's it. It didn't work. Um, yeah. So when, when did you start diving into fitness fully and like to the point that you knew it would be like a career like this? So when did you kind of like make the mindset shift of like, all right, like I'm going to try and make this my career. And, or was it just something like, I know you said you started powerlifting, you started working at a gym and you can still, you know, diving into the business stuff because this is, you know, a business question as well. But when did you kind of make that shift and, and go into it? Yeah, well, I was uh, like, before I worked at a gym, I was a carpenter. Um, yeah. I'm like a, a journeyman carpenter. I did concrete formwork, finished carpentry, built houses, built sky rises, built hospitals, prisons, all of it. Um, like, and I love that job, man. That job is the best job I ever had. And I would do it in a second mm -hmm. uh, if it paid better or took less time out of my day. But, um, and it's funny, like I made a post once, like uh, referencing Goodwill Hunting where it's like uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are standing yeah. in the truck and Matt Damon's just going to do construction for the rest of his life. And Ben Affleck doesn't going to fucking kill you. Um, and that's very much a conversation that me and shallow had. So yeah, you know, I'd worked at a gym for some time and I'd left to do bobsled. And, and when I came back, I did, I decided like, I'm not going to go back to the gym, man. Like the money's not, the money's not guaranteed. Like I just quit my job, moved across the country, ran out of money, got lost in an airport, had to fly back. Yeah, that story was crazy. I heard that yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. I lived at an airport, was homeless, flew back, had no money, had no job. So I was like, I can't go back to a gym where there's no money guaranteed. Like, I'm going to get a job that I know I can do and someone's going to pay me. So I went back into construction, did carpentry. Um, and that's what, around the same time I met Shallow. And Shallow and me would talk about programming probably daily at that point and exercise. And I'd send him vo voice notes when he, not, his, he was in Australia and he'd call me at 2 a.m. and I'd be ranting about some shit. And he was like, listen, man, like you can't keep waking up at 4am and like going and putting wood on the wall. Like you got to do something that you're good at. You got to do something that you like. And like, obviously I talk about exercise more than I talk about types of wood and nails. So he was just kind of like, dude, if I get, if I get to Canada and you haven't fucking quit your job yet, like I'm going to kill you. So 
I was like, I guess that's it, man. I guess I, I leave this and I do fitness. So yeah, I just, I think that was the moment, man. Like shallow was just kind of like, you should do what you're good at and do what you like. And, and again, it's buying back bandwidth. Like if I wake up at 4am and I drive to some construction site, I get back to my house at 7pm and I go train, there's no bandwidth there for me to expand on, you know, maybe ideas or things that I have in mind. And there's no way I can, I can help really other people with that, with that level of horsepower left. So I just kind of took the plunge and said, you know what, I'm going to do this again. I entered, uh, for the time being like the commercial gym space again, I was like, you know, before I move online with this, before I start teaching again, it's like, I got to cut my teeth, get in front of as many people as possible. So I left carpentry, contacted a friend of mine who managed the gym and said, Hey man, like I need a job, you know, doing personal training. I was like, my goal is to train, like, I want to gain as many clients as possible in the yeah. shortest period of time. Like I want to be, be in front of as many people as I can. I'm not really trying to waste time, not trying to do other bullshit. Like I'll just spend my entire day at the gym. So I went back into the gym and like, just went at it, man. Like head down, knew how much money I needed to make a day and like gain clients as quick as possible. I went from, you know, zero clients day one, starting back at the gym, 10 weeks later, I had 13 clients. Like, and it was, I just needed to gain more clients and every month, you know, I would set aside two, three hours, not only training the clients I had, but I set aside two, three hours and just try and sit down with people and do consultations, like move through assessments, move through motivational interviewing, move through programming and periodization. And like, if I couldn't service the client, I'll give it to somebody else. But yeah, my sole goal was to, to gain clients and, and, you know, keep that motivation in mind. If I was ever going to do this on my own, like you can't take your foot off the gas, right? Like I went down for the weekend this weekend for four days to see my parents. Like they live, you know, like four hours away and I don't really yeah. see them anymore. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go down and see them. I posted a thing. Like, I'm not going to use Instagram. Like I'm off. Like I'm going to give yeah, myself yeah. a break for the first time forever. And, you know, I went down to Windsor and by the time I got back, I had four new clients, but I think it's just that mindset. It's like, yeah, dude, <laughs> I'm going to check in Instagram 15 minutes a day. But if I log into Instagram, it's not to, to scroll through shit. Right. Like yes, I'm a product. I'm a business. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a product. I'm not a consumer, right? Like if I'm on there, I'm selling something. So, and to say that, like people need to understand, like when you say you're selling something, it doesn't mean you're monetizing and, and manipulating people to buy something, but you are you, like you are now a product and you are selling that product. Like a sale is, a sale is an argument that ends in somebody giving someone else money. Yeah. So it's like, you just have to constantly make, be making arguments towards why you're the best or why you're different. So I don't think, the idea of selling or sales or products needs to be taken negatively mm-hmm. because we're constantly just selling ideas to one another. Like you're going to have an idea. I'm going to have an idea. I'm going to make sure when we're done talking that I'm right. And you agree with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's just about that in general. It's that I think sales are scary because the other person could say no. And it's more about like a knock on their ego than anything else. And I was, when I, so when I first opened the gym, uh, a few years ago with in um, which I lived in New York for my whole life. And then yeah. I just, like I said, I just moved out here, but um, sales was the single hardest thing I had to deal with. And like coming from a point where I was 22 and I had to sell myself to people and I was like, what do I have to offer these people? And then like, I just started talking and just bring value as much value as I could learning about things, you know, listening to you guys, listening to well, Jordan and Jinta at the time. Um, but like, you know, trying to bring as much value and it's just hard and it's hard when you're a younger person, it's hard when you, um, are trying to sell yourself and you're not used to it. And like that stuff can be, um, 
Yeah, it can be challenging, it can be scary, but like once you start having those conversations, it's just about having the conversations. It's just about getting better at it. And I'm sure the first time you tried to sell something to someone was not like this time. You know, it's not like this weekend when you got four new clients. The first time it's probably like, yeah, I do uh, personal training and like, and you, you learn from it every single time and you just take a piece from the last one. You're like, ah, oh, that went terrible, but like, at least I did this all right. And you take that into the next one. It's just experience, experience, experience. It's just like training. I think that's a lot of coaches that I talk to um, that are friends or up and coming and they're trying to gain a clientele. They're, they're very much people who are waiting for the right opportunity or, you know, wanting to know all this before. And, um, you know, I, I think in the, the mindset of we're alike in that, like I'll do things just to do them and learn and just keep going. Um, and that, like, I think that's a skill to have. And when people have that skill, they end up learning significantly faster than the people who don't. Um, and I think for you guys, like specifically, and like, I I'd actually like to talk about that a little bit is like the, um, like your, I don't want to talk about your sales pitch essentially, but like, what are kind of some of the keys that you have to like selling yourself and building that and being a little bit, um, better about that stuff? Um, yeah. <sighs> I think the honest thing for people to understand is that conversations, regardless of what language is, what language is used or what you're talking about or, or how much you want to like beat around the bush, like answers are always binary. Mm -hmm. Like it's yes and no. And if someone says maybe it's a no, yeah. right? Maybe it's never really a yes, because if it's not a yes, it's a no. So I think people just need to understand that, you know, all of these conversations are very binary and, and much of that comes from the confidence to just get to the point like yeah. i don't really i don't really have a i don't really have a sales pitch i don't really have a strategy i don't really have a, a method it's very matter of fact but i think at the same time like i don't coach anyone who doesn't believe in me first yeah. like i don't reach out to people who i don't know and see if they want coaching yeah. because that's an obstacle you have to overcome and why would i want to do that why would i want to convince somebody that i'm the best to work with them and then convince them to then give me money and yeah. then have to prove myself. That's insane. Yeah. It's insane. So it's like, but that being said, it's not like everybody believes in me. And it's not like I only talk to people who believe in me, but I just put in front of me so many things that would encourage people to want to work with myself, a very specific clientele. So by the time I have that conversation, I'm not selling anything. It's matter of fact. It's like finishing essentially, like finishing the job. <laughs> like, hey, do you have space for coaching? Yeah. I'll have space in two weeks. It's this much. PayPal me at this address. So I think, I think what people do is they set themselves up for a far harder, a far harder uh, journey by constantly trying to, you know beat a screw in with a hammer by going after people who don't know them. And I think a big part of this, a big part of this, and you had mentioned it earlier, like success isn't measured by followers. It's not if you're the product and people are, people are looking at Instagram in very much the wrong way. People are looking at Instagram in terms of how an influencer runs their Instagram. Now an influencer is selling a different company's product based on their power of influence. Yeah. They have a large cone of influence the product comes to them. They market someone else's product. Yep. Now there's a lot of, a lot of online coaches or prospective coaches or people who want to sell their own service on Instagram that are going about creating an Instagram 
as if they were influencing a third-party product. They're trying to gain followers. They're trying to get people to their page. They're posting a lot of stuff that'll show up on an explore page. And they're talking about algorithms and all this dude shit that I don't understand. Like, I don't know how Instagram works. I make like one post a month. I have no clue what some algorithm explore. What's, what's a real, I don't know what any of these things are. I can hardly fucking get the bubble with the words on the damn story sometimes, but it's like people are going after Instagram trying to be an influencer, but they're, they're just not selling their own service. It's like, that's when you become the consumer and not the product. And you're going about Instagram the wrong way. If you have 50 followers, monetize the 50 followers you have, like they're right. They're already there. Reach out to them. There's no barrier of entry. They believe in you. And that's where, that's where I found it's like, dude, my greatest engagement, my greatest like growth or, or facilitation of Instagram as a platform of business is via stories. Yeah. I don't post any posts. I post like 9,000 stories. Yeah, the Q&A. I thought you just posted one too, right? Yeah, Yeah, 100%. Do you know why? Because when you post a story, and I'm a schmuck. I don't know, Dick, about the internet. But when I post a story or I look at someone's story, there's a little thing at the bottom that says send message. (laughs) It tells you to send a message that doesn't show up on a post. It shows up on a story. Low barrier for entry. Post a story. Someone will message you. They will put a thing in there because it's like you said, instant gratification. They see something and they can react to it right away to respond to a post. I have to go to the paper airplane to click on you to type some stuff in. And I keep my fingers crossed that you actually check your DM. Yeah. I'm going to respond to a story. So for me, I'm not trying to build a platform to influence someone else's product. I'm kind of the product. So I'm going to post daily stories every day. Most of which are not me. They're my clients. I rarely post what I do. It's always my client doing something and, or somebody, you know, listening to the podcast or somebody signing up for skill acquisition. Like I'm going to repost that stuff. And then, you know, maybe once a month or, you know, whenever I have the bandwidth or the capacity and, you know, somebody drops off or I find more time or I've developed the systems that I use a bit more, I'll throw up like, Hey, I'm looking for a client. Mm -hmm. Well, somebody's already in the habit of clicking through my story. Then it's like getting yeses. I'm just getting constant yeses. Yes. They want to follow me. Yes. They want to watch my story. Yes, they want to ask me a question. Do you want training? Yes, I'll also keep writing in the box. The box keeps showing up until that little box is monetized. And it's yeah. like, I'm saying this on your podcast so everybody can hear it. Like, yeah. this is what I do. It's not a secret. <laughs> and it's not manipulation. Yeah. It's not even motivation. It's not anything. It's I'm a store. Mm-hmm. I'm effectively a product and a store myself. And to build a business, you just have to be it just has to be a low barrier of entry to get to you. Why are you making your product so hard to find? Yeah. And like, I have a, I have a mentorship program. Like I work with a very small group of, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Of other uh, people that want to start moving into the online space, like coaches that want to move into an online business. And I work with them all one-on-one. Like it's not like a group setting. Like we have one-on-one calls every week and um, things like that. And with all of them, it's like everybody who wants mentorship and inquires about it. I go to their Instagram and I try and find out how I can give them money. They can't. That's the lowest barrier for entry. I just go back to them like, dude, I don't even know how to give you money. Yeah. Like, why are we talking about algorithms and reels and explore page and marketing strategies? And then should I pay for, you know, direct to consumer? What are you doing paying for marketing? You don't even have a service anyone can find. Yeah. It's like, that's like wondering why no one calls you, but your name's not in the phone book. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, yeah, I mean that's that's tough. I, like that makes sense, and then, like thinking about it that way makes sense. But I've it's everybody who's out there when you look at that stuff is saying those things. Like they're saying the opposite of what you just said, which is get more followers, get more influence, sell. Uh, you know, and it's not a sell yourself as a product; it's sell a product. You know, and like that's and that's that's actually really, that's a really good idea. And like, I'm just thinking about stuff there and just going through it myself. But you know, that um, I think marketing's taken a turn for the worst because of those things. And that like, it's just about getting attention and not like actually utilizing the attention that you do have and going through that. And it just gets, cause I know people and I know people who you know, who do that service, who do like social media marketing and like they do other things. And um, it's a lot of money sometimes and, and they charge a lot of money to do that. And, and just realizing that if you just take that time yourself and just even ask about that person, like your followers, ask them what they're, what they do, how they are, what they're doing. And like, just get that conversation started in some way, they're going to come back and ask questions. And my favorite way is um, that I've, at least I've seen and that I've tried is a Q&A because that's just, you're just telling them all the information that they need. And most people are looking for that information, but it's more of a validation of like, all right, he knows what he's talking about. Cause like you could give someone all the information in the world. They're still not going to do it themselves, you know? And like, that's what we are for as coaches and fitness. Cause I mean, I'm sure you think of this in the same way, but fitness isn't that hard for most people. And and especially if you can like, like, you know, I went over your skill acquisition template, like uh, I want to say a few months ago when you first came out with it, like when you first released it and like looking at it in a way I struggle with like visualizing things like that. But like when I see it on paper, you, and you read it and you're like, all right, this is like, even for myself, it's like, all right, this is cool to see, but like you can hand that to somebody and they could make their own program, but it's just like, you know, it, they, they want to see that that as like a validation, like, all right, I'm going to give this guy my money because he knows what he's talking about. Um, and it's all just so simple sometimes. And it's almost hard to realize because there is so much, like you see the, like you see so many people on Instagram who are just peddling bullshit. Like just, I see like sports performance guys who are doing like the most absurd things I've ever seen. Like uh, not to call anybody out, but like Joel Seedman is just like one of those guys where you see his stuff on Instagram. He's working with professional athletes and he's got them doing like nonsense. And it's just like, you don't need to be going that hard. And like, I've changed my perspective a little bit on sports performance since listening to Jordan and you and Jinta, because, you know, understanding performance is understanding the body and then being more efficient. And I think that these movements that are happening and all these, all this stuff around what's actually right is just people not understanding and trying to fill the void with sexiness or appeal yeah. of working out. Um, so it's, it's crazy. And, you know, um, and then this kind of gets into the, you know, the next question I had for you, because I've heard your rants on this stuff, yeah. um, self-care and stoicism and, and why it's something that like, isn't realistic for most people. And the reason I bring it up after this is because I think it's kind of in that same boat with working out where it's like, to even think about the stuff that people are pushing, you need to be at a certain level of understanding. And I think people are skipping the level of understanding that they need and just going to the stuff that looks cool. And I think self-care and stoicism are part of that where it's like, these ideas are really cool and they're deep and they're, 
you know, if you can get to that point in your life where you're able to express yourself in that way, I think it's really cool. But, you know, stoicism, I remember your specific example, and I'm sure you'll mention it as the orange book that says, I don't give a fuck or whatever it was, but it's orange. And like, you know, I want you to kind of talk about that a little bit because I think there's a lot of the notion that like to care about yourself and to feel good and to do this stuff, you really need to, you need to meditate for an hour or you need to do this stuff. And, um, you need to think in a certain way when really, if you just focus on your own shit, you're going to be better. Yeah. Like I've gone off with stoicism. So and you don't have to, yeah, and I know you have, and like you, you've talked about it a lot, so you don't have to dive too no, deep or whatever. You're no, it's, it's totally fine. Right. And like, dude, I roasted self-care and I caught so much heat about the self-care thing, but I think people need to understand like, dude, I'm not against the, okay, whatever the language is, self-care. I'm not, I'm not yeah. against taking care of yourself. Yeah. Dude, I'm not against being happy and mental health. I am a huge proponent of mental health. Man, I've said it before. I've referenced it before. I have extreme fucking battles with anxiety myself. And like, there's a lot that goes into that and that you have to do. But I think, I think all of this lives and dies in when you click post to story. Like that's where it lives and dies and you losing the plot on it. Like stoicism is not posting that you're stoic. That's the anti-stoic movement of all time. Like if stoicism is about being inward, why are you outwardly expressing that you're better than people? Yeah. That's the problem. It's like, it just devoids all things about the death of the ego to then post it on a platform in which all you're doing is outwardly facing things that you do like social media is basically all of your friends staring into your front window and your dick is out like fucking close your curtains dude and do things for yourself inside like, you don't need to do that so i think it lives and dies like my problem with stoicism lives and dies and that people don't really have many problems nowadays or it's a perceived level of stress that's not necessarily an absolute level of stress and i think stoicism is written by and written from the point of view of very privileged and safe individuals who at one point engaged in mass genocide and violence against much more underprivileged people. And now people who are majorly privileged are reading books on stoicism and ignoring the fact that some military general who murdered thousands and thousands of other people sat there and went, now that I've killed thousands and thousands of people, I'm going to meditate on how I can be a better person. Well, you as a privileged person who can afford some $40 book and 15 minutes a day and a fucking iPhone and Wi-Fi, and no one's trying to murder and rape you and you're reading the book and you're posting it mm -hmm. is the same as the fucking dude who killed thousands of people and went, guess what? I could go on the best vacation ever in my own head. Yes, because there's a thousand dudes with swords and shields protecting you. Of mm -hmm. course you could. Why could you not do that? But guess what? If you grow up with no food in the middle of the fucking desert, and maybe once in a while you get to watch a Hollywood movie and America seems like the greatest place on earth and wearing a Versace belt and driving a Lambo seems awesome. That can also be awesome too. Like there's nothing to say stoicism takes the moral high ground, mm -hmm. but people who seem to like modern stoicism love the moral high ground. And I find great problems with that because yeah. I don't think moral high ground exists. I think we're all selfish and the more privileged we are, the more selfish we are, the more we ignore it. And guess what? Dude, just be fucking selfish. Selfishness is the greatest tool to humanity. Yeah, I don't think it's bad, and I think it's viewed as bad. Dude, selfishness is the best. If people weren't selfish, 
there would be no philanthropy. Yeah. If people weren't selfish, they wouldn't give millions of dollars away to other people, yeah. but they do because it makes them feel amazing. And that is so selfish, yeah. so selfish to imagine this. A philanthropist is a guy who has so much money, he can give an exorbitant amount of it away to never get it back, to just feel good. Yeah. If there's a less selfish act, please tell me what it is. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's the craziest idea. You're like, this guy is the nicest guy in the world. Look at him giving millions of dollars away. No, conceptualize the fact that he doesn't need to ever get that money back. Yeah. Like I'll give some money away to charity, but it's money I truly need to go make back when I go to work. Yeah. Like I'll give some money away, but I'm really like, when do I get that back? Like, when do I work long enough to get the back money back? I just yeah. gave away to that guy in the street. So it's like, dude, there's nothing, nothing wrong with stoicism, but just be honest that it's selfish and it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing we lose out on is, like philosophy is a way of thinking about thinking. It's not dogmatic in its approach to a way of being. It's a way of thinking about how you already think. Yeah. It's the understanding that we're all thinking all the time and there's different schools of thought on how to do that thinking, how to conceptualize and compartmentalize the way you understand things. And when we get into stoicism or whatever, all these schools of crazy thought, we start to get very dogmatic in the approach and it becomes inane and nonsensical. And if people are a stoic and they don't have Instagram, dude, shout out to you guys. But if you post Ryan Holiday on your Instagram story one more time, I swear to God. Uh, but no, it's just, it's craziness, right? And the self-care thing, it has self in the fucking title. Yeah. It's for you. Yeah. It's not for everybody else. Go away. Yeah. Go away. And if your ability to care for yourself stems from your ability to tell other people that you care about yourself. You are on a train where the tracks are running out. Yep. The only way you can feel good about going to therapy or lighting a candle or reading a book is the idea that you have to tell other people you're doing that. You're not controlling the mechanism that existed previously that made you feel bad about whatever made you feel bad. Yeah. You know what it would be getting off of Instagram Yep. just deleting it do it if your life is so hard how do you have the time yeah. how are you so busy how are you so busy that you have the time to tell me how busy you are i don't understand you know what i mean like and that's my big problem with it right it's like there are truly hard things we need to do all of us that we ignore daily it's just like you said it's just like working out guess what you're not good at squatting because you don't squat you know what I mean? Like, if well, you I think, yeah, and I was gonna not to cut you off, but like, no, I think that's where self self care needs to start. Is that like it needs to start not at the the easy of like you know, like you've said, like getting your like uh, or Jordan said, he was like, I don't don't touch my feet. He's like, I don't want yeah. like pedicure. It's like it needs to start at all right. What are my what are my problems? Like, what are the things I need to fix? And like. For me, that was one of the things that I dove into was like, you know, what are my actual problems? Like, you know, I, I want to care for myself, but like, you know, like you said, avocado toast isn't going to be the thing that's going to solve it. It's going to be, you know, what are the things that I really need to do to become a better business owner, better person, better, um, just like friend, family member, like what are those things that need to happen? And it's just about trying to test yourself each day to be better at that stuff. And I think that's where self-care comes in but it often comes in as this um, 
like you said, like this, this very high influence, like sphere of just like, Oh, I, I, I meditate and I'm in my head. So I'm, I'm better. And it's like, well, it's also about the, you know, and like, and I know you guys talked about this with the, like the training economics is the same thing as like self-care economics. Like what are you actually doing when you do that though? Are you actually solving things? Are you actually going forward and taking those steps? Or are you just like, yeah, I'm thinking about my problems. They're still there and I'm not going to really do anything about them. And like, I'm just going to use this time to get better at it, but like, just kind of like tell people that I do it. And like, for me, everything that I try to do now is within a, at least some learning curve or step moving forward. So when I do that stuff for, you know, self-care or self, like just indulgence of what I'm trying to get better at, it, it it's, comes with a purpose of trying to make sure when I'm done, I'm taking a step forward or understanding something a little bit more and understanding those topics of how you think and philosophy and understanding like, you know, yeah, things get hard, but they're going to be hard for everybody. And they're hard for you for a reason, but you need to figure out what the actual reason is and not just fill it with like, it's like, I'm going to sit here and hope it's going to be okay. And like, I'm just going to think about it being okay, but not actually doing anything. And, you know, this is where I have trouble with the topic because I was someone for a while who was very against um, like that whole thing. And like, look, not like, not looking inward, but like trying to, I was trying to solve problems, but I wasn't actually like sitting down to solve the problem. I would just think about the problem and I would go into the normal, like, you know, Western society or whatever. I don't know if it's Western society, but just like the general mindset of like, oh, why me? Oh, why me? Oh, why me? Instead of being like, all right, well, like, you know, yeah, this is happening to me, but like, what are the questions I need to ask to actually solve that? And that's where like, self-care starts to come in so when you do meditate or when you do go into those um mental states of where you're trying to look inward you actually have something that you can get an answer from as opposed to just looking inward and being like all right well uh, where do i go from here so it's just being better at asking questions understanding that stuff and then also understanding that like there are people who have earned the right to kind of be at a certain level and and give back but again like you said it is to be, to give back, you need to be selfish. You need to have some type of point in your life in which you are caring about nothing else but yourself. Because if you, if, if you're taken from an empty well, like what are you going to be able to give, you know, and what are you going to be able to move forward, move that needle forward with? And it's just, and, and it's oftentimes looked at as a bad thing to be selfish in a lot of ways. And it's just like, you don't know hard work or you don't know, um, you know, you're, you're kind of thinking of this in a backwards light. And uh, it's tough, but I think that, you know, as people talk about it more, and I think it's one of those things that right now is at the upswing of its pendulum and it's at kind of like its peak in terms of like, everyone's talking about self-care, everyone's talking about meditation, everyone's talking about kind of this inner state of being, and it's at this inflated place where it's going to come back down and actually be like, all right, well, what is the actual point of self-care? It's going to come back down to how do we actually solve the problems that we need to solve and how do you actually take self-care and make it efficient and not just doing it just to waste 45 minutes in the morning and say you do it. Um, yeah. I think what people don't realize is like, like you said, if the pendulum swings backward, it swings back to everyone who's doing it can pay their rent. Yeah. And you know how you pay your rent with money. Yeah. Why is this confusing to people? Like I have very little stress. I'll be honest with that. I have periods in which I have maximum amounts of stress. Of course I do. 
but relatively I'm pretty low stress. Why? Because my rent is paid. I am not shy to say that my rent is paid and any money I make after my rent is paid is bonus money. And I have less stress because of that. But it begins at like, dude, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Do you have food, shelter, and safety? Yes, I have all of those. The pyramid of stress lessens as you go up. So the first thing people need to do is like, yeah, look inwardly, fine. Look inwardly at why you suck. Like, why does your life suck? And what are you doing to make it suck? And like, you have, enough, yeah, you have, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, you have, you know, and as you were saying that, I was just thinking like, you know, you have an experience where you didn't have a roof over your head, where yeah. you were living in an airport, where you were homeless. You know, people nowadays, it's so, it like that hierarchy of needs essentially moves up to where this stuff's just there. There's no, you're never going to question if you have a roof over your head, you're never going to have a, and this is, you know, 90% of the people, but never going to question whether you're going to have food. You're never going to question whether you have, it's, it's moved up to, oh, do I have, you know, X amount of money? Do I have X amount of followers? Do I have X amount of, uh, you know, other accessories, phones, clothes, cars. And, and like when that has become the, and like you said, when you start thinking of, that as the base of the hierarchy of needs instead of like the actual hierarchy of needs you're on a track that you're going to end up falling off a cliff with and it, it comes down to just understanding the whole premise of what's necessary in life and then saying okay like once i have that stuff it's like all right now i like i actually have what i need and like literally everything else is extra like i have a place to stay i have a place to sit down i have a place to eat i have food to actually eat and then it's like, now I can do what I want to do. But when you look at that as something that's like there, no matter what you ever, no matter what you do, it's going to be there. You never have to worry about it. So it's never like, you know, it's never, oh, I'm missing. Or, I have everything I need. It's like, oh, I'm missing out because I don't have the next thing. I don't have that. I don't have this amount of money. And then you, you put yourself in a bad state of mind for it, you know? Yeah. And I think like part of it too is people look at a lot of things. People are always looking at like the, habits of successful people and whatever all the, I don't know what any of these books are, man, but whatever. They always look at what successful people do. And I'm guilty of it. I've told people I wake up at 3.30 a.m. So does Mark Wahlberg. Do you know why I wake up at 3.30 a.m.? Because there's a person who messages me at 3.30 a.m. I'm getting up because my phone is ringing. I don't, and like all these people are just getting up really early. And they're like, oh, I get up at 4 a.m. every day because that's, you know, when you got to get up I don't know, man. I get up when my dick is hard. Like I just get up. Like, I don't get it. Like if what you're doing, if what you're doing is work, then it's directly monetized. Yeah. If you're not directly monetizing the time, just call it business development. Yeah. Cause you're not getting paid. Yeah. And all of these people are in this false sense of time and where they go, dude, I had a guy tell me he worked 80 hours a week. And I asked him if he made $80,000 a month, and he was like, no, I'm like, then you must not be working because yeah. what are you possibly doing for 80 hours? I don't work 80 hours a week. Yeah. I wish, dude, I wish I worked 80 hours a week because I would directly monetize 80 hours of my time. I'd yeah. be living on an Island. You'd call my assistant to book a podcast with me, but I don't, yeah. I probably work 22 hours a week, mm-hmm. but that's directly monetized time. Yeah. I probably do. 
80 hours of business development a week, but I don't get paid. So I don't count it. I don't look at that as my day. Like, but everyone wants to add up all the hours before they monetize it. It's, I saw it when I worked one-on-one -on -one in a real gym, right? People be like, oh, I worked 13 hours a day. They had two clients. They were in a gym 13 hours a day. Yeah. It didn't work. It wasn't directly monetized. Yeah. Dude, I don't work 13 hours a day. Work two hours a day. Yeah. The rest of the time is business development, but it's business development. Yeah. It's still something, but it's not directly monetized. So at the end of the week, when I feel tired or burnt out, I look back. I, dude, I had this realization. Honestly, I had this realization on Friday. Ooh. On Thursday, on Thursday, I did nine and a half hours on Zoom calls. Damn. And one day? One day, back to back. Jesus. Like I sat at this computer right here and I just kept end meeting, start meeting, end meeting, start meeting. I'd run to the bathroom and run back. And I did that for the entire day. Uber Eats catered my day. But what I realized was I was like, dude, that was crazy. Yeah. But it was a regular human day. Like that's what humans do. They work eight hours a day. Yeah. And I looked, at the <laughs> I looked at, yeah, it's, it's what normal people do. And I looked at the rest of my week and I went, how much more successful could I be if I just did that every single day? Yeah. Like I can do that. I can do that Monday to Friday. But now I pay myself and I'm like, man, I did that for one day and it was a really successful day. What is stopping me from doing it the other days of the week? Because I don't want to. Yeah. And that's a terrible excuse. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing that people don't realize, right? It's like, I did nine and a half hours of work, real work that was monetized. And I looked at the fact that I have the bandwidth to reproduce that every day. Whoa. And if I worked six, 60 hours a week, I'd be four times more successful than I am now. And I just choose not to. And that's what most people are doing. They're just choosing not to do the lowest hanging fruit thing they need to do. And I think if you're going to look inwardly, it's inwardly at yourself, like get a pen and paper out and just write down the facts versus facts versus stories, right? I work 60 hours a week story. Fact is you work two hours a week. How can you take those other hours that you perceive as work and find a way to monetize them? And dude, that might be the first step. And the busy you, you are, the busier you are doing things that you get paid to do, the last idle time you have to sit around and conceptualize why your life isn't great. And guess what? Yeah. We all work 60 hours a week, probably have a big fat bank account and your life would be pretty great. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, that's, I, I was, and definitely I was one of those people because I would, when I owned the gym, I was, um, I was working a lot, but I was doing classes and like, it was, you know, it was one of those things where I was indirectly getting paid, but I wasn't directly getting paid for hours. And I was working on like stuff for the business, but like, I would say I worked 80 hours a week and, and, uh, yeah, I didn't monetize any of that. So I gotta, I gotta change that. That's, that's cool. Um, all right. So I kind of want to make a transition into, yeah. uh, learning and books since you kind of mentioned it. And, uh, I know you read a lot and that's something that you talk about. Um, what are some of your favorite books in general? And then what are some ways, and you can answer this obviously after, but how do you continue to kind of learn and find new ways to like challenge yourself as you, you know, as you gain new clients, as you gain new business, as you kind of step into more of like a educator, like how do you actually as yourself challenge yourself more and more? Yeah. Um, favorite books in general, like I can name any book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So favorite books in general would probably be uh, Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. Um, the Outsider by Camus. And what would be the last one? 
Uh, Fear and Trembling by Kierkegaard. I guess those would be like the three right now, if I had to name three of my favorite books in general. Um, and I think they all, you know, truly pay dividends, you know, into a thought process or business or just confidence and, and the ways of thinking. Um, but yeah, like, like I've chose Fear and, Fear and Trembling at Kierkegaard. It's his book where he really starts to describe anxiety. Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Yeah, and I think that is truly what holds most people back, right? Is this dizziness of freedom. It's looking into an empty pit. The feeling you get in your stomach is truly the feeling you feel when you're anxious. Yeah. And it's just the idea that when you have ultimately all choices, choosing becomes so difficult. That's when it becomes most important too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And I think the dizziness of freedom is altogether so true. And all of us feel it all the time where we go to anywhere that has a lot of options. You're like, ah, oh, I, just, I just don't know. They have vanilla and chocolate, you just know right away. Yeah. Um, like Fountainhead, dude, I love Fountainhead spoke about Fountainhead previously on a podcast. Obviously there's parts of it I don't agree with. And I think work antithetical into itself. Um, but like the character of Rourke, I think is amazing. Uh, you know, he's a guy who works odd jobs in construction to support his dream of architecture, uh, architecture. Uh, you know, he's seems dauntless in his approach to his own doctrine and not uh, being convinced otherwise. And I think for better or worse, people need to understand that if you have discourse with someone who doesn't agree with you, it's not about either of you convincing the other one who's right, but in discourse with those who don't believe in you, it should allow you to understand your own thought process better. Yeah. I talk to people all the time who don't agree with my exercise philosophy. They never change my opinion. They allow me to better understand and communicate my own opinion. Yeah. And it's vital and it's necessary. And we should find discourse with those who don't believe in or believe uh, alongside us. So I think that's uh, entirely important. Um, and like the stranger by Camus, like, I think it's honestly just a dude who realizes, you know, at the end of the day, like nothing really matters. Right. You know, he says, if death is inevitable, you know, how and when shouldn't matter. And I think, you know, that's something if we tied it back to, you know, to business and we yeah. tied it back to exercise, it's very much the same way. Right. It's like, you know, gaining clients in, is inevitable. Yeah. How and when you do, it doesn't matter. And, and somebody saying no to you, somebody not wanting your service is also as equally as inevitable. So yeah. how and when they say no shouldn't matter. And, you should just get them to say no quicker than sooner than later. Um, and I think that's really important, but I would say like Camus, the outsider, uh, La Trangere, uh, would be like the most important book I've ever read. And it's, uh, Merceau is a character I think I relate to probably a bit too much, but I would say that's the big one. And I think all of those books, you could take away, uh, something in terms of business or something in terms of training or just something in terms of, you know, it, being a person who's on a track to betterment in some way, I guess. Yeah. Um, have you ever read any, uh, so I just finished um, Crime and Punishment, and then I'm moving yeah. on to The Idiot. The um, Idiot. So that's, a, that's one I was going to ask if you ever read that one, because that kind of sounds like it's a stranger where it's just kind of a guy who just, you know, is almost like this figure of uh, almost like a joker kind of person. And, and he just doesn't. And it, but, you know, with that joking mentality is like the reason for that is like giving up responsibility. And not having the responsibility in life and and you can you can have that where you just like you're this person who just doesn't live by any you know structure or means but then you give up responsibility in terms of like actually living your life and you you live it to other people um but that's not, the only reason i bring that up is because it sounds very similar to kind of the, the stranger book 
yeah so uh yeah like camu and um uh like sorry like the stranger and the idiot would be very much like contemporaries of one another read the idiot loved it thought it was great um so yeah like those would be definitely contemporaries of one another it's very much uh, in some ways, like an existentialist perspective, right? If somebody dissecting things down to what they are in a factual sense, in a rational sense, versus like the irrational, you know, um, tying emotions to things. And I think that goes back to facts versus stories. Like what yes. is something, what is something at its base first principles of what actually is it uh, versus attaching, you know, irrational emotional understanding of it. Um, right. And it's not to say like we shouldn't be irrational or shouldn't be emotional. Like obviously emotions play a part. We are complex human beings, but we should first be as rational as possible and introduce uh, ingrained exposure emotion to that rational thought process. That would be my idea. Um, and in terms of what I do to challenge myself, uh, you know, in a business or in an education setting is uh, make myself more visible, greater your vi visibility, the more likely you're going to run into people with opinions that aren't the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and number two is build a bigger business, man. Like, I, so like in the mentorship that I do and a few of the conversations I've had recently, like since we're talking about the online space, I said to people, and this isn't to be taken as literally as possible, like not to do that, but to understand the thought process behind it is if you want to go into online coaching or you want to build a business that exists in the online space, your goal must be to make at least $10,000 a month. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's the kind of the, the baseline of like, where everyone, I know that's where I want to be. And I know that's where, you know, that, that seems to be the number that's thrown around a lot. And I think, I think if that isn't your goal, if that's not your intention, go get a real stable nine to five job with some type of health benefits and uh, a schedule and a weekend yeah. because you're going to be better off because as great as working online can be and the, the ceiling is nil, it doesn't exist to the success that you can have as long as you just wake up every day and, you know, hammer the nail in, it comes down to the fact that it's like, man, if that's not your driving factor, like if you don't want to keep pushing towards that number and that number, like you said, being the baseline, like that's the expectation. This isn't the marketplace for you, man. It's not the, not the mechanism of your success. It's, it's too much. And if, I always say like, you're either like everybody in the room with me is competing with me or they need to leave. Right. It's like, you either want to do that or you need to go and sit on the stands and watch. So I think that just comes down to like, that's the mentality you have to have. It's not about, it's never about being the best. It's about being the most expedient and it's servicing in the best way, the people that are in front of you, but the baseline has got to be, you know, 10 K a month. And that's not to be taken in this, you know, renewative way. It's more to be taken in like, this is the level of, of work and the level of drive I need to have and the level of ownership I need to take over this. Because if you're just trying to make, you know, an average job's money, then dude, go get an average job. Because the fact of the matter is, if, if you can't secure yourself a job that pays you $4,000 a month in real life, you're not going to secure yourself an online business that pays you 10. Yeah. And I think that oftentimes that number gets clouded because, um, I, I, you know, I, I think that, like I said, that needs to be the baseline for you. And you're right that like, if you can't even secure a job that gets you, you know, the base of $4,000 a month, you can't. And like working in that field of getting that type of money, like I think people misconstrue how hard it actually is. And, but at the same time, it's like, there is no ceiling with, you know, online training. There is no ceiling with where you can go with it. And if you have the right systems and you know the right people and you have the right setup, you could 
I know coaches who help 130 clients a month and they're, you know, they're charging $300 a month. And it's like, that's absurd. And like dealing with that, but you have to be good. And, um, you know, that type of business is something that you need to strive for because it's definitely not just going to come. But at the same time, it's like, and I know this from personal experience because I had a, a part-time job growing up basically my whole life. And it was just boss, tell me what to do when you do it show up at this time, you can leave at this time and that's it. I was in school, I was in college. It was show up at this time, you leave. Show up at this time, you leave. Uh, you know, you have this, it's due by this date and that's it. You graduate on this date and you're finished. And then I, like, as soon as I graduated college, I opened the gym and it was like, uh, there's no schedule. There's no one telling me do this. There's no one telling me do that. And what I found is that like, you know, kind of like you said, it's not about being the best, like if you can make decisions faster than other people and then, you know, change on those decisions and make better decisions based off previous decisions, you're going to get somewhere faster. And if you have the, you know, the blessed being of having decision-making and being the best at what you do, then like, there's no, there's really no ceiling for you. And it's just really for me about decision-making. So I've always been someone who's like, all right, well, whatever it is, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to at least try it and then go from there. And then once you make that decision, you're going to know you're either going to be closer in the way that, you know, that's not it, or you're going to be a step closer in knowing like, all right, I'm almost there. Um, and like, you know, it's cool to hear that type of stuff to challenge yourself. And because I think it's, for me, it's really important for the people that I listen to that I always know that they're challenging themselves. Cause I think it's really easy to become stagnant once you get to a certain point in your business. And like, when you hear someone talking about like, I just want to keep growing, I want to keep growing instead of being like, Oh, I'm here. Like I made it. And it's like, all right, well, like, you know, what, what is next? And, you know, um, growing is the hardest part. And that's for me where I've been and I, it's just been trying to grow and finding those ways to challenge myself. And once you do that and you're able to do that, I, I think that, like I said, the ceiling is kind of unlimited in terms of that. And that's what makes it unlimited is you being able to challenge yourself um, and, and doing that in a way that, you know, makes most sense. And I want to transition into the next thing that I want to talk about yeah. is, um, and obviously we got to talk about this, which is a skill acquisition, um, the course, the template kind of this topic in general, I kind of wanted to get a little understanding of like when you really started honing in on this and when it was something that you were like, yeah, like this is how I kind of want to, and I think everybody, again, I think this is something that everyone bases their training and life around. It's just whether they understand the actual concept of it and like the understanding of breaking it down. Um, but you can go a little bit into that is like, I think challenging yourself is skill acquisition and it's finding something, doing it in a cognitive way, doing it in an associative way, and then it becoming autonomous in your action and your function, your thoughts. So talk about that. You can talk about the course, talk about you know your template, where you can find that or then um, go from there. Yeah, no. Uh, so skill acquisition is honestly in some way it's genius occurred when I started, when I started at a commercial gym, like eight years ago, like I'd reference this on a podcast um, last week, this book, the five rings. Um, like I'd gone to West side barbell. Louis Simmons told me to buy this book, the five rings. I went to whatever the bookstore is called in the States. And I bought this book borders or whatever. Um, I bought this book, the five rings and like the very beginning of the book, it's this samurai describing the idea that like, it's kind of like your sword is a modality and it's understanding, you know, the weight and the balance of the sword and what makes up the sword. And, you know, where the sword is in space and how you manipulate the sword. And it's like really living and understanding this. And I thought 
you know, for a barbell athlete, like doing powerlifting, I was like, well, in a way, not to be like, you know, too hokey, but like the barbell is kind of like the sword of the samurai, right? Like this is the tool that I engage with often. Like I need to know how it works. Like I need to understand at the time, like I had a, you know, far less understanding of biomechanics, but it's like, I need to understand how I express force on a barbell via, you know, where my hand is placed, the grip that I use. If I squeeze more through my pinky, if I squeeze more through my index finger, if I wrap my thumb, if I don't wrap my thumb, you know, my position, it's like allowing yourself to move around the bar, that not, the bar not to move around to you. So I started to understand this idea of like, you know, the modality or the medium being the message. And then from there, it just kind of built upon itself in terms of, you know, understanding this idea that like these modalities truly come with their own skill set, And based on, you know, the modality is truly the intensity we can use. The intensity we use is going to drive something from, you know, being very neurological, very, very physiological. And we saw, you know, like probably a decade ago with powerlifting, getting more literature around it. We saw constantly these conversations of CNS fatigue and whatever, and this and that, and strength being a neurological adaptation over a physiological adaptation. And it just got me thinking, it's like, man, like there's so much talk of this barbell stuff being neurological and fatiguing the neurological. And I just thought, well, then it can't be physiological. It has to be way lower rent on the physiological side, because if I just get gassed often, you know, from my brain overworking the skill of using this barbell, then it can't be the means of driving physiological change, it must drive neurological change. And if that's where it lives and dies, then that's where it should live and effectively die. And there needs to be more modalities understood in terms of their physiological adaptations and the qualities of them. So I started looking at my own training from like, man, there's all these fat dudes just using a barbell and just going home. And there's all these dudes who aren't fat using dumbbells and cables and machines and not looking fat. So there must be a merit to this. And then from there, it was, you know, understanding this skill acquisition template. And I was like, how can I organize these thoughts in a way that is true or, or, or believed to be true and make sense? So I looked up like Fitz Posner in the skill acquisition template. I went like, oh, like if we look at this cognitive associative autonomous, this in all, in all ways just looks like a workout. Cognitive is very much warming up, right? It's mobility. Mobility is creating a safe enough environment or a a great or a like or greater than stimulus neurologically to allow me to enter into ranges of motion that weren't previously accessible. Stability is taking that new mobility I've found and creating perturbations to some movement at the hip or the shoulder or the spine that I'm going to use later on in which prior to adding load, I create a stress neurologically based on instability. I'm obviously not high enough in terms of an allostatic load to start to adapt to things because I've just been at the gym for 20 minutes. So stability is going to be a lower tier option to creating adaptation neurologically. Now that I've adapted to either the shoulder, hip and spine in terms of perturbations to their movement or anti-movement, I'm now going to find an associative task to my sport. For the barbell athlete, maybe that's squat, bench and deadlift. To the football player, maybe that's, you know, broad jumps or sprints or change of direction work. And that's associative to the game that is played. Or well, the barbell is Like jujitsu or like a fight. Yeah. Or it's, or it's rolling, right? It's doing drills, right? And then you go and drill a bunch of stuff. And then you'll notice that in everyone in the associative phase, the technical aspect of things wears off the longer you spend in an associative phase, whether it be jujitsu and drilling new moves, whether it be running forties or, you know, running plays in football, whether it be barbell squatting or deadlifting, it's the technical thing that drops off first. So when you have that technical criteria drop off, it's not to say you're physiologically incapable, but within internally stabilized movements, 
you're probably lacking the ability to move into a physiological output stage. So that's where autonomous comes in. And autonomous is simply finding like shapes that are externally stabilized or easier to do in which we can autonomously move through them. A scrimmage at the end of football practice, rolling at the end of a jujitsu session, leg pressing at the end of a, a squat session for a power lifter. It's something that's externally stabilized. I'm able to move through that neurological fatigue very quickly and into physiological fatigue. And in most times I'm able to find a modality that I can reach the same proximity to failure, but this time through physiological means. So I looked at skill acquisition, you know, honestly just fitting over top of a workout perfectly. And, and in its most pedestrian way, I think we all look at it that way. But what I realized is that we're all looking at it on a day-to-day -day basis and we're not looking at it on a weekly basis in terms of internal and external aggregates or stressors to the athlete. Uh, and we're not looking at gauging or creating sessions that actually adhere to that allostatic load of the athlete as they move through a week or a block of training. We're just going cognitive associative autonomous all the time. Now there are workouts that might just be autonomous. There are workouts that might just be cognitive and associative and it's understanding how can I take, you know, weekly volume numbers and, and you know, the math behind it. How can I, you know, modulate intensity and volume over weeks and blocks of training that not only adhere on a daily basis to this model of skill acquisition, but adhere in many more ways to, you know, skill acquisition over the course of a week or a block where we see an athlete move, you know, from most specific associative means to less specific autonomous means or vice versa. And then understanding how we can create constraints around movement to allow us to progress uh, perturbations to what's happening at the core as a means of progressing movement versus just going time, distance, and load. So that's where the skill acquisition course was born of. Yeah. Uh, and the skill acquisition course itself that uh, I teach with Prescript uh, that will be inaugurated January 18th uh, is very much going to be a course on thought process. I'm not looking at giving anybody any answers. I'm looking at basically creating so many quantitative filters that when it comes down to coaching and programming, you buy bandwidth back by being expedient. Like we can assess so many constraints in training that the answers become one or the other. Cool. That's awesome. I'm going to, I definitely want to get involved in that. I'm it's a little tight right now since the move, but I will, I will definitely get involved in that. I, uh, yeah. I have the blueprint though. Um, is that still available to four yeah. people? hundred percent. So if you go to uh, pre script.com slash skill dash acquisition, right. it'll still be there. I'll try to yeah. Just Google it. It'll tell you how to spell acquisition properly. Yeah. yeah. Now I'll try to put the link below, but definitely check that out. Cause that's, um, there's a lot of good information in there. Um, is the, I know the template you sent out, is that not, is that available to people too? Uh, yeah. So actually if you go to the, if you go to k2coaching.ca, uh, there'll be a page that says skill acquisition templates and there's actually specific templates now available for each stage of skill acquisition. Like you can get a cognitive only, template, you can get an associative only template or an autonomous only template. Uh, and all of those templates in like in a very specific way, outline the rules or parameters surrounding each stage of skill acquisition. And you can simply drag and drop exercises into the template that you feel work best for you. Cool. Yeah. And that's awesome. And uh, like I said, if you guys haven't yet checked this dude out, he's uh, popping up on podcasts everywhere, but he's also on the RX radio. Um, I appreciate you stopping by Killian. This is awesome conversation. Uh, and yeah, and like I said, if you guys have any questions about that stuff or you are interested in doing the skill acquisition course or just learning more about that, uh, you can always reach out to me and I can get send you to Killian's way or you just hop on uh, Instagram handle. Uh, Killian.Hamilton. 
Killian Hamilton or Prescript. Um, all that stuff's on there, and they have all the information on pre-script.com. Um, yeah, so again, I appreciate it. Uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your time and COVID or whatever's going on up there. How much longer are you guys in uh, lockdown for? Uh, till the end of the year, man. Oh, we'll, be, we'll be coming out in January. All right. I'm, I'm in uh, Tennessee now. I don't know if, if you know where that is, if not, but there's a uh, coming from New York to Tennessee with like the whole switch up. New York is insane. And New York and Tennessee has been kind of like weird because it's like no one's really talking about it, but like yeah. they still like follow the restrictions. So I don't know, it's weird. But um, yeah, I appreciate you stopping by and uh, I'll let you know when this goes up. But thank you guys for tuning in. If you guys have any questions for Killian, follow him, hit him up on Instagram, ask him all the questions. He's got a Q&A running right now. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Peace.